1: Useless information. Hi, everyone. I hope you're doing well. As I'm recording this, it's July 4th weekend here in the United States. That's our Independence Day. So I'm going to take a few days to myself and, you know, basically step away from the podcast. Now, I do have the next one in the works. It's almost written and recorded, and I'll have that for you sometime next week. But in the meantime, I thought I'd do something a little bit different. You see, last week I was a guest on the Off Exit 10 podcast, and it is named that because it's recorded at the Capital District Sports and Fitness Facility, which just happened to be located off Exit 10 of the Adirondack Northway. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with the capital region of New York, the Adirondack Northway runs basically from Albany, New York, and it runs straight north up to the Canadian border. And ultimately it leads one to Montreal. Anyway, the podcast is put out by three of my former students. They are Mike and Jordan Serrani and Paul Morse. And Mike asked me a few weeks ago if I'd drive up for an interview, and honestly, they're all great guys, I've known them for years, so I didn't hesitate to say yes. I do think you'll enjoy listening to this episode because you'll learn more about my background. You know, from teaching to owning an online pet business for a decade to starting on the internet before just about anyone else had it. And of course, I do talk about this podcast itself, how I put episodes together, how I do research, and so on. As you listen, Mike is asking the bulk of the questions. Paul is jumping into the conversation from time to time. And Jordan, you won't hear him at all. And that's because he was working behind the control panel, you know, controlling the microphones and things like that. And he did the editing and so on if you like what you hear in this episode, be sure to check out additional episodes of the Off Exit 10 podcast, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes for this episode. Anyway, without further ado, here is the latest episode of the Off Exit 10 podcast with their special guest, me. Enjoy.
2: It's Off Exit 10, presented by Capital District Sport and Fitness.
3: To repeat that, yeah, so as yeah. we we have Steve Silverman on tonight, and Paul, and Jordy, and myself. We met Steve when we were in high school. Yes, um, mm-hmm. Steve was I only just like Jordan. I opted out of physics, and I had you for Earth Science when I was a mm-hmm. freshman. Um, so Steve saw Earth Science and Physics right. at Chatham High School. We went to high school for how many years? Thirty Steve? years. For thirty years, retired right before the pandemic, or right during in the, the middle pandemic.
1: of pandemic.
3: Yeah, yeah, and then Steve's been doing a podcast for almost as long as anybody's been doing a podcast. I started in January of 2008, 15 and, years. And what blows my mind is you said before we got on air that you thought you were late to the game.
1: Yeah, so uh, uh, I had written two books in the early 2000s and I never intended on being an, an author. Mm-hmm. I was contacted by a literary agent in New York City probably in 1999. He goes, you know, this stuff on your website will make a great book. And I'm like, I, I actually remember writing back him saying, who would buy it? It's for free on the internet. And he goes, well, not everybody has the internet yet. And that was true, you know, back then. So he convinced me to write a book. Uh, I put out the first one. It was called Einstein's Refrigerator. It was just a collection. It was really the best of my website, these crazy true stories. And uh, I put it out, not really thinking. I I actually didn't really enjoy. I don't enjoy the writing process of a book. Um, But, you know, he convinced me to do it. And I wrote it over a summer, submitted it. And it did really well. I, w- I was on the radio multiple times a day uh, all summer long. I was on vacation you know, in July and August. And like two, three times a day, all these radio stations, these kind of morning uh, radio people uh, you know, would want me on because I have crazy stories to tell. So then uh, you know, maybe it's about six, seven years after the books came out. And this is before the Amazon Kindle and e-books. And I'm like, well, these are going to go out of print, these books. I need to do something to keep the books alive. And, I don't know, I, I started reading about this thing called podcasting. And I've always been kind of a little bit ahead of the, the curve with
3: technology. Because when did you first, so useless information your website, when did you first put that online?
1: Uh, so, I was on the internet before there was a World Wide Web. Uh, wild. <laughs> so, uh, how? let's go back to the day I was born. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, uh, I started in Chatham during the 1990-91 90, school year. And um, at the end of my first year, um, there was a bad recession going on, really bad. And uh, they laid off, I think like one out of every five or one out of every six teachers in Chatham. Everybody I knew got pink slips. And I had just been hired as an earth science teacher there. And they told me if I got my physics certification, they thought the physics teacher was gonna retire, that I could take his his position. So that summer I was five credits away from getting my physics certification. I should point out back then you only needed 15 credits to get cert- once you had your first science certification certification you only needed 15 credits and I already had 10 as an undergraduate. What is it now? It's a now it's like it's 30 and you have to take a test. Okay. There was no test or anything. It was just it was just a technicality some hoops to jump right. through. So uh I couldn't find any courses or advan- and, and by the way I should mention I took uh, a graduate-level geophysics course as a geology major, they wouldn't accept that because it wasn't in the physics department. So what they did allow was I was allowed to take physics one again at a because di- it was at a different school, that counted. So that got me four credits, and I was short one. So I went to RPI, you know, the Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, and they were offering, like, this intense new teacher training for physics teachers. And I went and got my one credit. And while I was there... The, one of the three uh, high school teachers teaching it, he pulls out this book. It was called The Straight Dope and it was written by this guy named uh, Cecil Adams, and it was just the best of a, a newspaper column. I think I, it's been a long, long time since I've read this book, but I want to say he was out in Cleveland, maybe Chicago. I'm not, re- I don't really remember anymore. But he goes, you know, if you ever have a minute left in class, just turn to any page in this book, and you know, you are sure to entertain your kids. So I, you know, just out of I just had a curiosity. I, I picked up a copy and. Sure enough, I start reading things from this. And and this book, I should point out, had some really obscene... It, it, went, it was the full spectrum from the cleanest to the... <laughs> you could really write into this newspaper column and ask Cecil Adams anything. So uh, kids kept stealing the book on me. Uh, I don't know how many copies I went through. Uh, so that's basically how I got into these crazy true stories. Just started collecting them, realizing that, you know, uh, I hate to say it, but, you know, if you just stick to the curriculum, it's really, especially the earth science curriculum in your set, I think is quite tedious. The physics that I taught, I thought was more interesting.
2: I definitely enjoyed physics more than that. Yeah, I had a, there's a, <laughs> it wasn't so um,
1: compact. I mean, the thing about the earth science curriculum is on day one, you're behind. You're racing to get through material. You have no time to get, for the kids to get good at anything. So I just started collecting these stories and I just throw in a little tidbit here and a little tidbit there. And uh, um, and then in my Third year of teaching. Oh, I should mention I did not become the physics teacher after that. The state restored money, and they hired a physics teacher. And then after about two years, um, they uh, the principal they 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 kindly asked the physics teacher to leave. I'll leave out the reasons why. <laughs> uh, I don't want to really you know say that publicly. Uh, I, I I do know what happened, but uh, anyway, they asked him to leave, and the principal said, "Steve, why don't you take over the physics?" And I said, I really don't know anything. I took <laughs> physics one and two, and, and there's one credit course at RPI. He goes, no, I think you'd really, really be good at it. And I said, no. And I said, I, I've just, you know, I'm, this is my third year teaching art science. I've just gotten good at that. So then um, the, at that time, Chatham had Latin. They dropped it shortly after that, but they still had Latin. And the Latin teacher who I was friends with, he asked me if I wanted to chaperone a trip to Italy with him. To Chatham? From chat on, oh, yeah. none no, of that man. stuff. How come I? Mean, I, didn't I mean, have... you had to pay, obviously. Right. It was over okay. spring break, and we went for eleven days to Italy. And I was good friends with him. And he goes, "You know, you really should do it. Just get it on your resume. You know, you teach physics for a year or two, and it'll allow you to get a better job somewhere else." That that was my whole. So I went back, and I told the principal. His name was Brian Howard, and I said, "You know what? I'll do the physics. I am not exaggerating." I'm, I'm going way off on a tangent That's here. Right? This no. is what we do. Yeah, <laughs> this is what you do. Yeah. Um, I, I will eventually get to how I got to, to the website. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, so, I, so the first year of physics, I didn't know anything. I remember a kid asking me a question, and I didn't know the answer. But I, I, in the back of my brain, I knew the general outline of the course. I said, oh, we'll get to that in whatever chapter. Figuring by the time we got to that chapter, the kid would forget. <laughs> and the first year was brutal. I was like one day ahead of the kids. But by the third year, I was really loving it. I really... F- Figured it all out, and t- I was self-taught, and uh, I mean, I'm definitely not a physicist or anything. So back to the uh, web. So uh, that same third year, when they asked me to teach physics, he also, the principal, same principal, Dr. Howard, asked me and another teacher to go to SUNY Albany and listen to this guy who was teaching real science research in the high school, which we don't, I mean, high school science is not, it's, it's, it's pseudoscience, you know? Mm-hmm. And I went to this, and one of the things he mentioned was, "You need to have the internet." And everybody's looking like, "What? What, what, this is, what year? What year is this?" I want to say 1993. So it's pretty foreign for a lot of people. Yeah, talking yeah I didn't about know what it was. I would never heard of it. Uh, I wa- I did, um, you know, have a computer, and I was using a dial-up modem and using what they call bulletin boards back then. Um, but, What's a bulletin you know, board? A bulletin board is like you know, you go on there and you post. Uh, think of it kind of like Reddit is today. You know, where you just go on there. Someone asks something, and someone whatever. Um, but there's no pictures, no point and click. Uh, um, so anyway, they said you need to have the internet. And I go back to chat back to the school. Oh, oh, and I remember them saying every school in the capital region has the internet. They just don't know it because BOCES was provide. You know, the Board of Cooperative mm-hmm. Education Services. Uh, they were providing it to all the schools. So I go back to the school and I said, you know, if you want me to teach this class, I need to have the internet. And they go. We don't have the internet. And they go, and uh, I said, "Well, they told me we do." So they put me in touch with a guy uh, at uh, at Bosis. Can't remember his name. I actually have his name in my thir- in my third book. Uh, I had looked it up um and i went up to there and he showed me the internet and it was so hard to use long long you know unix commands you had to type in ftp blah 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 there was no yahoo no google there's no images is all text based. very slow uh we're in chatham long distance call right. uh, mm-hmm. you, you
3: don't even know about long distance probably no but i mean fair- I, I can i can remember i mean we First, got a computer, which was probably 97, 98, mm-hmm. I would say, Jay. I knew how to do dial up. Like you yeah. couldn't yeah. be on the phone at the same time. My do all would the weird noises me. when you're going to right. Log the, in. the the, the, the right. connection sound is very mm-hmm. distinct. AOL was was the
1: classic at that time. Yep. Yeah. So anyway, uh, for two years, maybe a year and a half, two years, I'm just addicted to this thing. Even even though um, it was cost me a fortune, I, you know, to dial up at a you know, and modems were very very slow. Uh, I remember Bostes provided it. But uh, only old people would know what this means. It, I dialed up at 300 baud, which is like it would take a half hour to download a tiny picture.
3: Dude, That's, nobody nobody would wait ten seconds to download yeah. a picture today.
1: No, yeah. So then, so uh, so I don't know. Uh, and I was always a computer geek, even before I owned a computer. I always wanted a computer, and I built my first computer because I couldn't afford to buy one off the shelf. <laughs> and, uh, uh, there was there used to be a, um, in Albany. They used to be uh, a company, I don't know if it was a nonprofit, but they had courses you could take, you know, like if you want to, you know, in those days, you know, how to use a word processor and things like that. And one of them was build your own computer. Uh, And I went to this company out in Rotterdam. It's just, you know, kind of like this facility, just a, a, you know, warehouse Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And I go there, and the first day was three hours, and they just went through all the things that went into a computer. And nobody knew anything. It's like, oh, you need a hard drive, you need a CPU. And then they gave us a list, and we went home, and we would call them within a week and let them know what we wanted to buy. And then they would gather all that stuff up, and you go maybe a month later, and we built our computers. And I remember closing mine up, and I was the first one done. I'm like, this thing is not gonna power on. And sure, enough, <laughs> boom, it went right on. I was like, wow, I got my first computer.
3: That's so, pretty
1: cool. Yeah. So uh, I keep going off on tangents here.
3: No, it's nice. So you get the computer. You have to learn to code a website then, no. Right?
1: So, so anyway, uh, probably so – the reason I got off on that tangent was I was always into computers. And uh, so I am just would get a magazine here or there. Uh, and I'm reading about this thing. It wasn't www. It was written as W raised to the three power, W cubed, right? hadn't hadn't become you know that's what they, the the magazine had written it as. And so I, I knew this guy at Bossey's, and I said, What's this W cube thing? And he goes, well, we're just testing it out. We don't know if it's going to catch on, but if you want, come up and take a look at it. So I drove up uh, to Albany. And he showed me the World Wide Web for the first time. And I was like, holy cow, I don't have to type these long commands. I can just take my mouse and click. And it was very primitive. I seem to recall there were no images on the page that he showed me. It was just links. And I go home, and I'm like, what do you put on a web page? There there were no search engines. You had to know where something was. Uh, And there was this guy. I want to say his name was like Scott Yarnoff or Yanoff or something like that. And he would put out a list of sites, mm-hmm. and that's how you'd find out about things. So uh, I go home, and I'm now, ad- I mean, within minutes, I was addicted, you know, I, like, I gotta yeah. do this. Um, and there was no programs, you had to just type the code. So the first thing, everybody's like, oh, you put your resume up. So the first thing I did is I put my resume up, but then I was like, I gotta create a website. And um, I had my friend Jamie, she actually just retired yesterday from Taconic Hills, my friend Jamie Keenan. She uh, had just gotten AOL. And she, I've been on the internet a couple of years since she had just gotten email. And she's like, send me email. You know, she's really, ex- I mean, today nobody would yeah, do Nobody, nobody checks no. their email. Right. <laughs> so I was single. My life was kind of boring. So I just started sending her stupid little stories, you know, like how they get the M's onto M&M's or who invented the post-it note, that kind of stuff, just to kind of fill space. Yeah. So for the lack of anything better, I just took each one of those emails to her, the story, and put each one on a separate uh, webpage. And for the lack of a better title, I had a kid named Steve Lotz. Um, he's probably in his 40s now. But uh, Steve used to say to me, you know more useless information than anyone else. So I just stuck the title <laughs> this useless was, uh, information. That was,
3: a cha- that was a Chatham kid?
1: Yeah. He was in my physics class. Uh, really nice kid. Uh, I think he still lives age. in Albany. Yeah, And and that's how the title got there. Uh, looking back, it was a stupid mistake. But whoever thought... You know, all you know, thirty years later, I'd still be using it. You know, yeah, because uh, I've had people write to me and, you know, how dare you call this story useless? And uh, in, in fact, at the at the end of every one of my long longer stories, I say useless, useful. I'll leave that for you to decide. And I put that in because I'd be offending people by putting the title use. You know, to yeah. me, they're just stories and. They probably don't mean a lot to anybody. If you never heard them, that's fine. But right. they're, they're, they're human interests. They're curiosity stories. And, you know, they're the kind of thing you're, you're standing around at a party or at the dinner table at Thanksgiving, you would tell. And, yep. that, and that's kind of what I was trying to get across. But yeah. today I think I'd search for a better title than yeah. that.
3: Did you foresee the Internet becoming what it is today when you were first on it back then? Definitely
1: not. I got a couple of funny stories about that. Um,
3: So um,
1: when I first started on the internet, there was a rule with the web, well, not even before even the web, but there was a rule, it was not for commercial purposes. Wow. That that was it. You know, you go like on. everybody and, knew that rule. This yeah, is not Yeah, pretty much that was an accepted rule. You know, this is, you know, they, they people would start, you know, in the form, they use all caps, which is basically yelling at you on the right. internet. And, and uh, like this is, the, you know, no commercial postings, nothing like that. Uh, and I remember um, when I, maybe like a year and a half, two years after I started my website, you know. Again, search engines were just starting. Yahoo and uh, was the first real one that I remember. I think there was another one called Alta Vista, like maybe came along a little later. Mm-hmm. And um, where where's I go? I don't know where I was going with this, but uh, I lost my train of. Thought. I'm, I'm thinking about twelve things at one time. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. I'm just thinking the internet. Yeah. Internet.
1: yeah. Like, oh, so to, so yeah. anyway, uh, uh, now I remember what I was going to say. So there were these to to promote your ad. There was like a, what was called a link exchange, and what, you'd make a little banner ad. And you'd, uh, put, you know, you'd make your ad and people would put that on their pages and you would put their ads on your pages. And there's just some server somewhere, you know, fishing these things out. And, uh, and one day I'm seeing this one called amazon.com. No way. You're talking,
3: we're in the nineties now. Yeah. Yeah. I don't
1: know exactly what year it was. And I remember being so annoyed that this guy, what he was doing, and you know, now today, of course we know it was Bezos, um, but, uh, what he was all he did, and this is my original thought, was he used to go to a public library or a bookstore. And if you wanted to order a book or, or the library to get you a book, they had this big, thick volume called like Books in Print or something mm-hmm. like that. And it, and I was convinced all he did is he took that entire database and made a website. And here's every book you can order.
3: Uh, so you and, were seeing like original Bezos posts. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I just remember being annoyed by this thing. Um, but then a couple of years go by and you know all of a sudden there's a big now everyone's got the internet it just it went from nobody to everyone having the internet overnight practically and so now you know everyone was investing in businesses became uh, you know the thing and my parents at the time owned a pet shop uh, uh, they had that for 20 25 years they getting they were getting close to retirement and i said you know you should think of, you should think about putting your business up online and I'll never forget this until the day I die. And my parents aren't alive. I love them, but this is the worst prediction my dad ever made. He he said to me, No one will ever make any money on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and here
2: we are. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: um this is probably, I don't know, ninety seven. Yeah, well listen, it was ne-
3: so new and nobody knew. Yeah. Nobody yeah, knew ninety seven. I feel
1: like that was
2: a very common thought though, too, yeah. By a lot of people that like, oh, the internet's nobody's gonna do anything with this. Like right. da da da.
1: So um, a couple of years go by and um, just, uh, I was, you know, again, I'm, I was single and I've had a lot of, a lot of time to myself. And so um, I, I don't know, possessed me. I just made a dummy site. Like if I put their business up online, what would it look like? So uh, I was, must've been like on spring break or something like that. I go what, down. To-
3: was back then, Steve, hmm. did you have to purchase domain names like you do today?
1: Yeah. Um, in fact, originally they, you couldn't buy a domain name. I mean, you could, but nobody knew what to do with it. I didn't know originally. Like, if you go to my website today, it's uselessinformation.org, right? I didn't purchase that name. What happened was uh, in those days, I was on uh, Roadrunner, which was owned by Time Warner. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had to put... you. You, you actually put... Uh, actually, originally, I was on a site called CapitalNet, but you they hosted it. So your domain would be something like www.capitalnet.com or whatever it was, right. slash useless information or something like that mm-hmm. that's how everybody had their websites okay and then uh, a few years go by and one of my former students guy named eric johansson who i'm still in touch with to this day he says what's your address uh and he i shouldn't mention he lives out in seattle he's done very well for himself uh one of the smartest people i've ever met in my life and he goes what's your address i, I don't know why he wants this so i give him my address and next thing you know, he registered my domain as uselessinformation.org. And I have that to this uh, day. Uh, and so it's an, even though he registered me as a nonprofit, clearly I'm not. That's just how I got it. Yeah, so it's just exploded. And uh, uh, I went to – so to finish the story about the pet business, my parents were probably about five years from retirement. And I said I had this idea. And my dad, of course, wasn't interested. A couple years go by. I'm just playing around. And I made a dummy site of what it would look like. I go down to see my parents, maybe, I want to say, it had to be in the spring, so say like April break or something like that. And I show it to them, I showed it to my mom first. She goes, oh, that's really good, but your dad's not going to go for it. I showed it to my brother, he really liked it. But he goes, dad's not going to go for it. So I showed it to my father and he goes, that's fine, but I want you and your brother to have the business. I don't want to have any part of it, you know, where we're going to retire. You can use our inventory, whatever. And we started our online pet business in the back of their store. Uh, we invested a total of one thousand dollars. Within a month, we made all the money back. And uh, what was interesting was nobody would allow us to take credit cards in those days. Credit cards online, there was no one do. There was no PayPal or right. anything. We had the the of that thousand dollars. Five hundred of it went to pay for the security for us to take a credit card online um and uh, today they'd never you know it's not today anybody can
3: oh it's a given you get like a yeah. Squarespace or whatever right, and exactly. there's commerce right on it and, but none of and that, that existed
1: that. um so uh, we put the business up online and for about the first six eight months we were just kind of limping along and you know i was upstate my brother was downstate where the my parents store is it's in the was in the catskills in a small town called monticello and uh, my brother would fill the orders after, he, he was a teacher also and he'd go to their store after work and if we had three orders or five orders, he'd just work in the back room and fill them then th- then i we were talking about, well, why are we doing this, you know and um then one day, all of a sudden we got like, oh i I, I should back up a little bit. I was going through their store and photographing their reptile department, and I got to this hermit crab food. I'm like, I am not photographing this because. This is before the days of clip art. You had to photograph the product and then clean it up and and you know put it up on the site. It was a pain in the neck. Mm-hmm. Everything was hand coded. So uh, I'm I'm at this hermit crab food. I'm like I am not. And then I said to myself in the back, you know what? You're doing the whole department. Just put the hermit crab food up there. That changed our business forever. Because months go by and all of a sudden, like in one week, we had like ten orders for these hermit crab foods. And I don't think my parents sold two a year. You know. I'm like, what happened here? So then I get an email from a woman. She says, can you increase it from two to four? And I said, we can do that, but we're not going to have them for about a week because we don't know what happened. But for some reason, there's been a big run on this. She goes, well, you're the only ones online with this food. It's the only food hermit crabs eat, and we're a hermit crab enthusiast group. I mean, well, I, who even knew such a thing? Wait, what? <laughs> How many people are in this group? Yeah. Like, so, you <laughs> know, it, it was it, in those days, it was on a Yahoo subgroup, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh and there were thousands of members in this. So I said to her, you know, well, just, you know, let me know what you guys want and we can stock it. Next thing you know, I, I, we were doing, uh, you know, a ton of business. In her, I mean, a third hermit of Krab our food. business was hermit crab stuff by the time we sold the business 10 years later. And we ended up having to build a warehouse and – uh um, it, it really, really got out of hand. Uh, we weren't getting rich off of it. You're competing with the whole world, so right, right. Uh, um, not only are you pr- are you making very little money, profit wise, you're making you know pennies or next to nothing on each product you sell, but the shipping prices were getting crazy. They were just eating up more and more and more of our business. And even taking ads on Google, uh, you know those ads you always see on Google. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, what would happen is uh, PetSmart and everybody else would want to, even though they'd spend five dollars to make a dollar because it's not their money. Uh, they they right. they make it up some other way. Where we couldn't do that, we were small. So it's just getting more and more expensive. And then my mom passed away, uh, and then a, a few years later my dad passed away. And my brother's like, "What are we doing this for? You know, we've been doing. You know, we're working."
3: We this had, is going. This is going on while you're teaching. Yeah, it was really.
1: Uh, I was. I was getting up at four in the morning, working until you know, just taking a shower, getting in the car, driving to Chatham, teaching all day. I would come home, work till I went to bed. All weekend, every vacation, all summer, um, you know. Uh, and and we had help. I mean, you know, but the certain things. The, the problem was the business. Was getting too big for us to handle, but it wasn't making enough money for us to hire a, a, someone powerful enough and knowledgeable enough to take it over and run mm-hmm. it while we continue with our jobs. So after my dad passed away, my brother's like, What are we doing this for? You know, uh, we're killing ourselves. We have secure jobs. Uh, we were both already 20 years into teaching. Mm-hmm. And we decided, you know what? You know, maybe we should think about winding the business down. Just selling off the inventory figured it would take us a couple of years uh, to get rid of everything. Just, you know, you sell stuff, don't replace it, you know? If you get orders for stuff, just order it. Because um, we really did stock every item that we had on our website in, in the warehouse. And uh, before we ever got that far, we were approached by a broker who had a couple that were interested in buying our business.
2: Were they hermit crab enthusiasts? <laughs> no. They, <laughs> um,
1: I'm going to be very careful what I say because we yeah. did end up in a major lawsuit with them. Uh, we sold the business and very quickly they ran a very successful business into the ground and they turned around and sued us for far more. Jeez. Uh, and and we did lose, uh, my brother and I just decided to settle it and we did lose a significant chunk of money on it. Um, so I'm not going to say anything about that. But that business, uh, I, I do know we were buying our supplies from one of the biggest wholesalers in, in the cat you know in the whole New York State New Jersey Massachusetts area and we were in their top 100 clientele. so we were doing yeah. a nice business not making a lot of money but right. it was a nice supplemental mm-hmm. income I was still making more from teaching than I was from the business but uh you know you you kind of double your salary and you're doing okay as yeah. a teacher you yeah. know so anyway yeah it's, so, we'll now, take, it's, so, so, so so now we're, we've gone off way away from a podcast <laughs> this is, right this 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 is, this is this what we is do what we
3: do but we'll roll it back into the podcast so you're teaching hmm And you're doing the pet store. And yeah. then so what year did you start podcasting?
1: So, uh, as I started to say, so the books I thought were going out of print and I I just kinda being a computer geek, I just was reading about this new thing called podcasting. Didn't really know how it was gonna work, how it was set up. It was there was no you know, today there are all kinds of sites, uh, you know, certainly Spotify and others provide uh you know, that kind of service where it doesn't cost you anything and, right. the, you know, you, you just kind of upload and, and you're all set to go. It wasn't that way years ago. You had to know all the steps. I'm trying to read how to do this, but I'm working two full-time jobs and um, I'm not, you know, I remember thinking I'm late to the game. I really,
3: really thought I had missed the boat. Did you know other people that had a podcast? No. That in LA? You no. were just reading about it. I was it. just
1: reading about it. You know, I was... One of the first on the internet, I, I I found out years later. Actually, when I was writing my latest book, theoretically, I had one of the first twenty five thousand websites ever. Wow! Hey, you think about I don't, I don't know how many there are. Honestly, now, but... I don't think that's right, but it sounds good. Yeah. You know, maybe I was the first seventy five thousand or whatever. Right. But I, when I had a website at first, nobody knew what I was talking about. Um, and for the first couple of years, if I got twelve people looking at it in a week, I thought that was great. Uh, the reason it exploded was that uh, Yahoo, which was actually only a year and a half, two years old, in those days, they would say, "Check out these sites," and they made my site their site of the week. Uh-huh. And uh, and I went to v- I remember going to visit my parents for July Fourth, and uh, you know, if I got three emails a week, you know, about the website, that would be it. I get home. I was only gone for three days. I come home, get back to my apartment up in Troy, and. I look at my emails and there was like 80 emails. I'm like, what happened here? I've never gotten, you know, back then nobody had email. What, what happened here? So I had like 80 emails and I'm going through what is going on here. My website's not working. I should tell you something happened. That's the no website's stress. down. I have all these emails. I start reading them. What a great site. You know, this, that, I guess it maybe like message 53 and it's from Yahoo. We have chosen your site as of the week, you know, as the site of the week. And then I go even farther down, and my provider, which was CapitalNet, said, you had more traffic in one day than we allow in a month. We're shutting your site down. So I had to quickly contact them and make arrangements to uh, increase my bandwidth because back then it was very, very expensive. It's wild
3: to think – the ease now of hosting a site, creating, you can now with AI, you can type in what you want a site to be and
2: And it'll
1: it'll pop out your site. I've
3: I've actually been using AI to write my podcast. Okay. Let's talk about that because I've been using AI to write our social media and our marketing copy. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, Dan, one of our other owners here started messing around with ChatGPT at yeah. some point within the past. That's when I you were, it was year. when you were
2: out. Cause I remember you were out and Dan and he called came me in over and told
3: me about it. I was like, ah, Dan, you you're wasting <laughs> your time. Um, and then I started playing around with it and I'm like, wow, the, how cleanly it writes the copy if you give it the right prompt. Mm-hmm. So how do you use it now in your so, process of uh, again, writing a podcast? I'm kind of a geek.
1: Uh, I, I will say that, um, The technology world has passed me by. I used to be always the one who was ahead of the curve. But, you know, I always used technology as a tool. I just liked what it could do for mm-hmm. me. It made my teaching easier. Uh, like, I, when I was teaching, started teaching, there were no g- online grade books or electronic mm-hmm. grade books. I set up a spreadsheet, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I figured out, you know, these were all just tools to make my life a lot easier because I had the skills. I'm not a programmer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm going to really date myself here. But when right. I was in college, we used what we call called punch cards to program a computer. There were no, pro, you know, you didn't sit down to a computer and turn it on. Right. You would punch each line of code on a different card, stack your cards up, take it to a central card reader, and wait an hour. And they'd read your cards, and then on paper would spit out whatever you wanted it to do. And usually, I always remember I was at SUNY Buffalo at the time. It, w- it was it was that really wide paper, and it would be up- It would come out of the printer upside down, and it would have your code number. Every every student, every teacher had a code number. That was assigned to them. And you'd first see your number being printed out. And then in big letters it would say, error. <laughs> and <you're> like, great. <laughs> no. now, I, now I gotta go through all my cards and figure out which one of these cards is uh is missing something. And I remember uh I was taking a course in a, a language that's not really used as much anymore called Pascal. And I you had to all you had to do was deal a deck deal a hand of cards and play poker and figure out, you know, who won the won the round. Won the hand and I couldn't I'm like everything's right. I can't figure it out. I'm spending endless hours. And by the way, computer time was very expensive. They only they only allotted you so much time on the computer. And so I'm, incredible. That's so wild. So you,
3: you would have to pay right for here. a block of time.
1: Well, you didn't really. It was part of your tuition. Okay. Right? I mean, uh, the, the uh, SUNY Buffalo. I remember going, you know, I was doing this at a remote facility on, on what was called the Amherst campus. But their computer, the mainframe computer was on a, a, in a building on this campus they rented called Ridge Lee. And the computer ran, I swear, I, I could remember, it just could be my imagination. It seemed to run the entire length of the building. And I bet you your desktop computer had more power than that computer has you yeah. know, had back then.
3: I think your phone has more power than that computer has. Or club- yeah. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. wild. So, I- uh, yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I'm just thinking about the technology, as a teacher, the technology progression. It's, it's like you're on the chalkboard, you put the laminate sheets and you're writing on it. Remember when Chatham got smart boards? Was smart boards I was the thing? first one to get you one. Had a smartboard. I'm telling you, I was always ahead on technology. <laughs> then everybody had, I remember every, there was one year and it's like, oh, everybody But, he, has but smart here's,
1: here's what happened uh, is that I was the first one to get one and we didn't buy, the school wanted to save money and they bought an off brand. So, I was the first one to get the off brand. Okay. And it wasn't compatible
3: with anything. Because I remember (laughs) this. I would be so amped up when somebody brought up the smart board. So I go, oh, this is not working today. (laughs) We're going to sit here for 20 minutes and not do anything. (laughs) Well, it wasn't the smart board that
1: wasn't working. Uh, The network in the school had all kinds of problems. Uh, Um, uh, Our our current, I assume he's still there because I retired three years ago. This guy, Giles, came in and straightened everything out. Uh, I was teaching a computer class. Uh, and we it was our first batch of laptops, I'd pass them out. I'd spend the whole class trying to get the kids on the network. We never got anything done. By the time I got them on, the bell would ring, and the yeah. next day I have to go through the whole same thing again. <laughs> um, and then, an I, and I remember going in. in for my annual review, and they go, how did it go this year? And I said, you know, uh, I didn't get as much accomplished as I liked. It was, I should tell you there was no uh, – it wasn't like a regents class where you had to do A, B, you know, I had to cover all right. the set content. It was really a, a new class that uh, me – and a number, a few other members of the department created, and it was designed so we could do what we enjoyed, bring our interests to the class. And I said to him, "Well, I got one less unit done than I planned because of all the computer problems, which was far beyond an, an my control." Mm-hmm. I get my annual review back, and they penalize me for 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 basically not teaching what I set out to do. <laughs> so th- this is, <laughs> you know, who's putting out these penalties? Oh, it's it's. Uh, I, I got a – we're again going <laughs> on. I, uh, we'll uh Under you, under New York State law, um, you require to be observed so many times a year. Uh, one of them is like a, a formal one where you, you meet beforehand with the administrator and you tell them what you're going to do and you give your lesson plans and they come in and they watch for the whole class and then you meet with them after. But then they also have surprise ones. They last like 10, 15 minutes. The administrator will just – Show up on a random day in your room, always at the worst time, you know? Yeah. So, um...
2: Keep climbing the ceiling, and you're like, oh, God. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. The, the the one spitball that was flying, you know, that's... No. So, so, uh, I had a 45-minute drive into school. This is maybe, uh, two or three years before I retired. And uh, I always wanted to do new things in my classroom. I was always like, "That's not working. Let me redo this." We can only do so much in a year. Well, you
3: would always do fun, different, like little experiments, yeah, right? Demos. That's what I remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which oddly
1: came from that same exact course that I, that Cecil Adams book. Paul. When I left that course, I had a whole book of demos. Was this to- in
3: the book? Paul said, "Say to a kid, uh, you know, all the kids listen to this and they enjoy it." Who's on the podcast today? Paul said, "Oh, it's actually one of our old high school teachers. He has a podcast." He said, "This guy used to light his tie on fire yeah. during a class." That one's actually on the internet. I put that on my YouTube channel. Yeah. Well, he brought
2: he he was watching it the other day, and he brought it up, and I was like, "I remember that. Yeah. I remember him lighting his tie on fire in class." I was like, "That was awesome." Yeah.
1: <laughs> so now I don't remember what the last story was. Um, but in, but uh, I I'm, I'll go back in a minute. But um, I uh, I told you before we went we started recording that my, the end of my career was the weirdest thing. You know, you, when you um, I had handed in my intent to retire three years before. There was an incentive. In the district to retire, you first year of eligibility, and you know both my parents died fairly young. My mom at sixty-seven, my dad at seventy-two. My mom yeah. retired, and just months later was diagnosed with terminal cancer. So I, I was like, you know what? I'm going to retire uh, when I hit the magic thirty years of teaching. I was fifty-six. And Chatham had an incentive in the contract. If you let them know three years prior to your year of eligibility, if you don't do that, you lose the money. You know, if I waited till 57 or 58, I wouldn't get that. And it wasn't a lot of money, but I knew I was going, so I put it in fact. So three years before, I said, I'm leaving in June of 2020, not knowing there was going to be a pandemic. Yeah. So, you know, I, I was actually having a ball my last year because I was, I was like, they can't hold the Regents against me this year because, right. you yeah.
3: know. Did, did that drive you crazy having to teach – to a Regents in New York State there's these oh, Regents it's awful. exams.
1: I I was I was in a worse position than most of my department at the time cuz most, you know, I'm not going to mention names but you know some teachers just taught earth science, some, one just taught chemistry, one right. just taught biology. And you have two two,
3: ta- you have two Regents classes. I had two
1: Regents every year and what would happen is um you know, they would go by the Regents accounted freak. I, I see I'm out of you know, when you don't think about education I, I really put it behind me. I walked away and my brain is in a different zone now. Yeah. But my memory seems to, th- I think if you had two regions, whichever class you had more than 51% of your students in, so whichever one you had the most students in, that was the regions accounted for you.
3: That what? You would get scored on in terms of your performance yeah. as a teacher. Right.
1: So basically at the end of the year, if I had, they, they would say to you the previous year, or something like that, you know, you have to improve your results by 5% next year even though it's a brand new set of kids. So even if you get a, a you know, you have no control. It's
3: hilarious. It's not like it's the same kids. Yeah, right. It's a whole new set of kids. Yeah.
1: Some years, you you know, you, you'd hear in earth science, not so much in physics. Physics is 12th grade class, 11th, 12th grade. But in ninth grade, the eighth grade teachers in the middle school would say things like, wait do you get this class. This, this is like, you know, they're going to drive you nuts. <laughs> they don't do anything. Wait
3: till when I was in your earth science class, I had, I was gonna name drop it. I had Ronnie Montag, who was like a junior or a senior in the earth science class. With <laughs> I, I remember, I remember, I remember, I can visually pic- picture him and I know the name, but yeah. I don't remember much about him. Yeah, yeah. I may have brought down your scores a little bit. This episode of Off Exit 10 is brought to you by Drink Alchemy. Fatigue and brain fog affect us all, destroying everything we pursue, whether as an athlete, artist, creator, or entrepreneur. Our mind holds the key to performing optimally. By combining the most potent organic nootropics found in nature, Drink Alchemy delivers sustainable boost to creativity, memory, energy, and focus in one epic beverage. Stop pumping your body full of excessive amounts of caffeine and unknown proprietary blends from other energy drinks and get clean energy from Drink Alchemy's natural nootropics like Lion's Mane, Altheanine, and caffeine from green tea. Used by Olympians, D1 athletes, MMA fighters, and entrepreneurs, Drink Alchemy has become a huge part of my daily routine making sure I'm functioning optimally during long days of coaching athletes running cdsf and getting in quality workouts myself so do yourself a favor and ditch the energy drinks loaded with caffeine other stimulants and who knows what else and head over to drinkalchemy.com today live with your mind unbound and save 10% off your order by using code cdsf at checkout that's drinkalchemy.com promo code cdsf for 10% off your order today Yeah, do you feel like you weren't able to give kids the fullest experience or help them the best you could because you're just like focused You have um, to teach to I'll the students. I'll say no to that.
1: Um, well, it's a very complex uh, answer because, in some ways, particularly I told you the earth science regions is very it's 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 like a treadmill. You 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 get on until till the end, you know that when that regions comes around, you finally get you. Like, I made it. I got all the you know all the curriculum done. Physics is, they give you um, more space to do experiments and demos and things. I have a lot more flexibility in there. Uh, In all my 30 years of teaching, I never failed to cover the entire curriculum in either class until the pandemic. I didn't, I finished earth science actually. But uh, what happened was when they decided to close for the pandemic and they sent us home, the administration had nothing in place. They wouldn't let us teach for a week until kids got laptops. They, they had yeah, to get I the mean, Chromebooks I would, I and the would, books. And I would think to...
3: a, a lot, of, a lot of schools had nothing in place. Right.
1: Yeah. Um I mean, luckily in Chatham, every kid in school did have a Chromebook assigned to them, so they just had to come pick them up, or just, or you know, and some kids had no internet access. Right. Um, yeah, you I remember
2: know, I, there was a couple kids I know that didn't, and they it's like. What do they do?
1: Yeah. I I had a student who went, who's lived with our great aunt, but didn't have internet access and had to go live with somebody else just to go to school, you know? So, anyway, um, where where was I going with this? Well, I'm just just public education, New York, especially with the regions. Like the rigidness of like having to teach it and like, So yeah. So, um, and covering the So, what I was going to say is because they delayed me that one week, and at the end of the year, they said we want all teaching to stop a week early. I didn't finish physics. So you had two weeks of So the, the kids missed out, sadly, on what I think is the most significant portion, which was quantum physics, modern physics. I taught very little of it, and then I had to stop. But that's the only time in my 30 years I didn't teach every detail. I, I, I always made sure in every unit I got everything, you know? Um, but kids, uh, I always try to make it, uh, I always be telling stories and doing demos, so kids sometimes didn't even realize. You know, there was a method to my madness. And I used to, in my, you know, probably midway in my career, I'd always be called on the carpet for telling too many stories and
3: blah, blah, blah. But I think that's a good thing. But what,
1: yeah, what I noticed by the end of my career is the other teachers in my department were doing the same thing. Yeah. You know, they
3: they were picking up on that. I think back to teachers that I enjoyed because I felt like they enjoyed teaching. They made the classes more fun. Mm -hmm. We were lucky we were there. It was like you, Mr. Pearson Mm -hmm. in history. Yeah. Mrs. Um, Nightingale was there for bio. Sure. She was And she then was there was great. a bunch of young people. It Mrs. Was math,
2: like, Mrs. Matthews for math. Yeah, She you had, was like, great. You had,
3: like, so,
1: uh, I mean, just a general observation, and there's always exceptions to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, young teachers have a big advantage in teaching. They know nothing. They have no skills, but they're young. They listen to the same music. They wear the same clothes. They so watch yeah, the same movies, same thing on TV. They can relate. They can relate. And that is a big advantage. Now, I'm not going to mention any names because you know uh, mm-hmm. some of these teachers, but- there are a few teachers I know when they got older, they let their hair go gray, they have wrinkles, You know, they're not as youthful in the way they dress. Kids would
3: walk in day one and say, this is not a good teacher, even though they were among the best teachers the school mm-hmm. had. Yeah. Steve, that's a good observation because I think about it in the realm of the industry we work in. We work with you know, primarily high school kids in the gym, and I feel like we're all – myself, Dan, Paul, you know, we have one coach in his 20s, our stars so so are in our 30s, and we're, like, right there on that line. We're, like, we can relate. We listen to music. We know the same shows. But you're, like, it's a matter of time until we just don't. There's definitely yeah, I mean, times yeah. that I don't, and I'm, like, what is going on right now? Well, when I started teaching, uh,
1: I mean, I'm I'm clearly of the rock and roll era. I mean, I, I grew up uh, – I mean, I, I probably, you know, the first time music really – I was born in 1963 – And music really, you know, you listen to stuff when you're a kid. But the first time I started really buying music was the early 70s. In fact, the the first, you know, I still still have my first album and my first. What was it? This is really embarrassing. Share. It, it was by a uh, uh, Jackson 5 kind of clone group called Evolved. the Osmonds, this is the, the Osmond ol- Brothers. This is
3: the only time we're going to put our headphones on during this. Give us – it was uh, the Osmonds. Jay, give us yeah. some Osmonds right here. Uh,
1: well, the song I like so. was called uh, Down by the Lazy River by the Osmond Brothers.
3: Jordy? A little Down by the Lazy River, please. get a little please. Down by the Lazy River here. No? Um Okay, so you're in the era of rock and roll in the mm-hmm. '70s, and
1: so when I started teaching, the kids were of the same thing. Uh, this is this is uh, right before uh,
3: grunge rock hit, you know, Nirvana, those kind of bands. See, pop, Just put this in your ear, quick. Tell me if this is it right here. Okay. sounds you know the like, it
2: sounds like a Jackson Five. That's it. This I is the jam. When I, when Jay, I was ten years bit, old,
1: when I was ten years old, I thought this was the coolest song in the world. Actually, the the album. Um, the album is actually pretty solid, I will say. Even listening to it today, I say, you know, they were like this close to uh, getting the legacy of the Jackson 5, but unfortunately uh, I think they kind of lost, you know, the uh, family was Mormon, and um, I'm going to take the, the headphones off, because I can't,
2: I can't talk and Because he, he can hear himself. Think, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, so uh, they were
1: Mormons, very religious, and, and that's that's very honorable, but after, I think after that album or one or two after that, they put out a religious album and they lost their audience. Yeah. you know. So I think if they had gone maybe one or two more rock and roll albums, they may have secured their legacy. Yeah. I mean, they, they still perform and they're very, uh, among my generation, they're very, very mm-hmm. famous. Um, so that was my first album. That's not so much a classic, but my first single... You know, in those days, you buy, you don't you know the big hole in the center. Are You guys, you know what I'm talking about?
3: I, <laughs> what yeah. are you talking about?
1: Yeah. So uh, my first single was, uh, uh, I would say, one of Paul McCartney's best uh, called uh, Band on the Run. Do you know that song? Band on the Run?
2: Throw it
3: on. Give, me, give me, let's educate you know me right here. I, yeah, probably, I, probably, I probably know. This. This. I'm sure Jordy knows. Jordy knows. Jordy's very cultured. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Paul McCartney. Yeah.
1: Yeah, That was, uh, I mean, I was 10 years old when that song came out, and yeah. uh, but it's the first, it's the those that's the first music I actually myself said, This is what I want to buy. The Osman brothers were very popular, they were the I don't know who would be the equivalent today, you know. I'm thinking, uh,
3: you have like, I don't even know I'm, if I'm you don't hated. know, I definitely don't know, <laughs> yeah.
1: but 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 when I started teaching, people the kids were listening to the same music as mm-hmm. me, you well, know, I was 26 so years did old. Did you
3: feel over the years, like a uh, 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 a loss of being able to relate and have common ground. Uh, with I kids. did when
1: phones, cell phones came around. All of a sudden, uh, you know, uh, the kid you don't know what the kids listening to. They they all they all wear baseball caps and they
3: because cover we, the, they they put the one earbud in there. We missed that era in school. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that was just after um, us. Oh, we, well, I think we kind of were the start we of it. Ha- we didn't have iPhones though. We didn't have iPhones. We had
2: MP3 players. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's and we different. We had iPods and we, the phones but we different. Had, but the difference is we had wires. You None of them see have the wires whole, now. Yeah, they they, and they, they, they just, just they just, just plug it or in. Or
1: it. What they'll do is they'll put the you know because like if you get the uh, the AirPods the AirPods or I have the the clones of them, but yeah. If you put, if you just turn to the teacher slightly, the teacher can't. See, they just put one in their ear, and you can't see it. And then they just put the phone under their desk. Uh, but they're, you know, they're communicating with each other. Like, hey, I'll meet. You know, you know, you, when I was a kid, you'd pass a note across the room oh, and yeah, get I trouble. In trouble yeah, yeah, now yeah, yeah, they yeah. just text a kid down in the art room and say, hey, I'll meet you in the bathroom in five minutes. And they say, I got to go to the bathroom. Right. And what are you going to do? And, it, and it's just a steady, you know, train of kids in and out of of your room. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is long before uh, only older people like myself will get this. There's a show called Rhoda on TV. It was a spinoff of a show called the Mary Tyler Moore show. And, um, there was a doorman called Carlton and, you know, in New York city, uh, you, you know, you'd have a doorman and he'd ring up and tell you, you know, this person's at, at the door to come see you. You let them up and you'd ring him in. So Carlton, the doorman who was actually the voice of Garfield years later, um, he, he would just go, you know, uh, Carlton, your doorman. So I, I, one day I'm just standing there le- letting these kids in and out. I'm like, and I said, uh, I feel like I said, Carlton, the doorman. And they had no clue what I was talking about. I'm like, I'm old, <laughs> you know, it's just like, um, but as the years went on, uh, I mean, I'm actually pretty lucky. Um, I kids, I, I went through the first 10 years where kids really liked me. I was, I was one of the more popular teachers. Then the next 10 were really rough. Um, you know, I, it was almost like I couldn't do anything right. And you sensed that? Oh, I was called on the carpet about it. You know, I mean, I was, I'd be down in the office just getting awful annual reviews and I hadn't changed anything except, uh, what, what happened was the state put all these mandates in. I'm getting a frog in
3: my throat yeah, here. No it's all right. <laughs> yeah, we, can, we can take a break if needed. Yeah. Pleasures are getting old. <laughs> <laughs> just wait, guys. Listen, Steve. My hair went at like 22, yeah. so. <laughs> I, uh,
1: I'm, you know, you're not, um, I'm one of the few. I mean, well, you have a great mine's head gone of hair back of a little. Oh, but it, I would do anything for your hair. My, my, <laughs> uh, I'm one of the few at my age that uh, still has a, almost a full head of hair. Anyway, um, where was I going with this? Because it has
3: to be frustrating <clears throat> and upsetting. And when you sense, if you have good social awareness, you're sensing it too, that either I'm not relating to the kids, this isn't looking well, like what, it What happens to is when you, when you have a bad year. What's a, what do you mean by a bad year? You
1: don't click with the students. Right. They, there's like nothing you can do right. They, they think you're boring. Because uh, what happens is, uh, and there's lots and lots of reasons, you know, uh, but w- what can sometimes happen is you get a group of students that's not very academic. They don't do anything. They start doing awful. So who do they blame? The teacher. It's not, it's not their fault that they don't do anything. It's the teacher's fault, you know. And, you know, uh, being a New York State teacher, you're bound by a curriculum, um, you know, not everything is interesting. This, you know, uh, you know. I, I, I like to joke when you're in kindergarten and, you, or let's say, third grade, and you're learning fractions for the first time. They'll pull out a pie and you cut the pie into right. multiple parts, and here's fractions. But when you're when you're up in calculus, that's not a possibility. You know, it, it gets it, it can get quite tedious, and 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 you're depending on the kids having a certain motivation and doing what you can. I mean, you still try to be the best teacher, but what happens is when you have a bad year of teaching, those kids will tell the next grade he's not a good teacher, and then yeah. then you know if that goes on,
3: and then they'll pass it on to the next year. So it takes years. So you're start you're starting the year from behind the eight ball in those right. in those situations.
1: And and honestly, in all my years of teaching, I I bear. I mean, I became a bit. I think you. Uh, it's like being a doctor. You know, you know those old doctor bags. Of, yeah. You know, yeah. they come. You know, when you're starting out as a teacher, you have that big doctor bag, but it's empty. You don't have a lot of tools or tricks in there. When you're, like I was, you know, in into the latter part of my career, I had I had tons of stuff. I'd be, yeah, you know, they always tell teachers you got to do lesson plans and stuff like this. I'd make a list of things I'm going to do. I had a post-it note. That's all I used. But what would happen is I see I'm putting the kids to sleep, and in an instant, I would just say in my head, I got to do something different. That
3: happens from feel, though, and just experience over time. It's like in here, Paul, you have a new client. You're doing a one-on-one session. You're trying to build rapport. You're trying to maybe cue them to have better exercise technique, and it's not clicking. It's not clicking. When you're a young trainer, that could snowball and that session's dead. You don't know how to recover. And you may never get that person back. But the more experience you have, you okay, I can shift the conversation this way. I can tell them a different cue, I can change the exercise right. exactly. to, to recover that session.
1: So so what changed for me, because my first 10 years went very well, second 10, I was like, let me out of this profession. And I had my pet business, I really was thinking of leaving. Um, but then um, what changed was, one year I was teaching physics and I had a study hall at the end of the day in the library. And oddly, almost all my physics kids were in that study hall with me. So they would just come and sit at the table and do their homework with me, and I and they just thought I was, you know, I was great at explaining things, whatever. And then we got to class, and because they were prepared, things went a lot better in class. And from that point on, I was just like, I went from being this teacher who, you know, you know, yeah, you know, they would talk about behind your back and not being very good to all of a sudden it was this great teacher. Everybody wanted to be in my class again. So uh, it was just it was just that fluke thing that flipped everything around. But, uh, and this is a little, this is kind of embarrassing to admit, but in my last five years of teaching. Uh, I had this uh, kid, Sean Majid. He he he'd be in class, going, "We're gonna celebrate you." I'm like, "What? I don't know what you're talking about." And, and like, yeah, "Yeah, we're gonna have it. We're gonna sell." Um, and he'd do this for, like he's doing this for weeks. I walk in one morning. Now I always had a, a, a colorful dress shirt with a tie, uh, with black pants usually, and I always had you had to walk around with your ID hanging around uh, your your uh, your neck. I walk in. It's, it's got to be you know about a half hour before school, and this girl Jessica, who's in my class, she's dressed as me, and I'm <laughs> like, this is going to be an interesting day. And they had Steve Silverman Day, and by the end of the day, uh, you know, all these kids are dressed like me. They're pretending to be me. They're going. They go down to the faculty room to eat lunch as me. Um,
2: <laughs> That's
3: awesome.
1: That has to be cool, though. You have to feel it was embarrassing because uh, anyone who knows me knows that I don't like being the center of attention. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was very awkward. And the principal, uh, John Thorson, said, "You know, you should celebrate this. This is this yeah, is man. a rare thing." And believe it or not, they uh, for my last five years of my career, they celebrated it every year. The kids got a thrill dressing up as me. And uh, even my last year, they uh, now there's no reason for this date, but uh, Steve Silverman Day is the second Tuesday in May. Why they chose that, I have no clue. <laughs> it's not my birthday. It's nothing in my life. And so um, it, it was just a coincidence when they call, they sent an email around saying the science department can come in this day to clean out their rooms. Because the school was shut down. Right. People were afraid. Of, they said, when you leave, we'll sterilize the rooms. Yeah, I mean, we're talking We're
3: talking early June 2020. May yeah, 2020. This, is, this
1: is May, the first week of May. When yeah, C- this so, is early So COVID. I go in. I had already been out of school for a month and a half. I was teaching at home. The kids weren't showing up. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I I wasn't getting any sleep because the kids would be asking me questions at four in the morning. And they'd be asking questions at midnight. And I was grading papers. that just coming in at all random times. Yeah. And um I go in and I'm just down in my room cleaning and they said Steve, can you come down? This is the rest of my department. Like, can you come down to uh, to this room? And I go into one of the science labs and they got all these people to record uh, they dressed as me and they made a PowerPoint uh, of Steve Silverman Day. That's on the internet also. Oh that's cool. That's I, cool. I, I, I I I was obviously very appreciative, but I, I wanted to crawl under a rock, honestly. <laughs> oh I, I, you, yeah, did, did, did teaching
3: you're more introverted.
1: I'm a, I would say I'm the classic introvert until I became a teacher. Uh, even when I started teaching, um, I didn't, like all through college, I never, I mean, I had friends and stuff, right. but when I go to a class, I would just sit there silently. I never would raise my hand and ask anything, never sought office hours with a professor. Um, I Dating was a nightmare for me. Um, you know,
3: that's why I didn't get married until I was 45, you know. But uh, I mean, I got really lucky. Yeah. Did teaching then? You feel like you learn to just flip on a switch and become more outgoing, more actually Because I feel well, like that. I'm very introverted, mm-hmm. but you put me in my environment. Whether it's here, we're talking to each mm-hmm. other. Whether I'm on the floor coaching at the gym, and I've learned how to, yeah, flip the switch on and and do that. But then it drains my battery immensely. Are, yeah, it more. doesn't drain my it battery. Doesn't. Well, that's good. Um, then
1: so. Um, what happened was um, my parents had no money. I mean, my dad was an electrical contractor. This is before they had the pet business. The pet business was actually they, – they, my, my dad had a hobby and, and my brother and myself. It's just the two of us. We don't have any sisters. But uh, my parents – my dad got into the hobby of raising tropical fish. And uh, of course, my brother and I were part of it. I think we were mostly there to clean the fish tanks and stuff like that. <laughs> um, but, you know, so my dad had a whole pile of fish tanks in the basement. and But supplies, were, there was no, you couldn't order them online or anything. Supply, they live in the middle of nowhere in the Catskill Mountains, and the only store is very, very expensive. So my dad came with this genius idea. He would open a small, you know, a tropical fish store in the basement of our house. And uh, my mom, uh, you know, she 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 been a you know she stayed at home she was a stay-at-home mom most of she went back to work for a few years and they figured well she can just leave her job and and run this business while my dad continue, continued in the electrical business unfortunately at the end of the 70s there was a really really bad recession if you think interest rates are high today they were crazy back then nobody could afford a house and my dad only wired brand new homes and he was out of business so they they not only had no money they were heavily in debt because they had purchased all this all these fixtures and and wiring and outlet you know boxes there they were tens of thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars in debt at the time and uh you know they just uh couldn't they had nothing so um you know when i went off to college you know i got obviously scholarships and stuff um, but i had to take out loans so they had no money to pay for me to go to college so when it came time for me, yeah, I became a geology major, and I knew there were no jobs in geology. Geology is one of these fields that goes up and down. It's either high demand or nothing, and there was nothing. So uh, I was told I needed to get a get my master's or PhD. So I applied, hoping I could get a scholarship. Uh, luckily, I pretty much had straight A's uh, in, in geology. Not not so much, my first couple of years, first three semesters were in, in engineering and I didn't do
3: very well. I wasn't Where'd, you, inter- where'd, you, do, where'd you do your undergrad? Uh, SUNY
1: Buffalo, <laughs> University of Buffalo. Um, and uh, I switched, I remember uh, my th- at the end of my third semester, this is like over Christmas time, I went back a day early to the university and I went to see an undergraduate advisor and I said, I want to switch out of engineering to mathematics. And he goes, why mathematics? I said, well, I'm really good at math. He goes, there are no jobs in math. Why don't you do geology? And I remember I didn't didn't take her science in high school. I said, what's geology? And he goes, don't worry about it. I think you're going to like it. And he signed me up. And next thing you know, I have a master's in geology. But but anyway, once I switched to geology and found something I really liked, I was getting straight A's. So I had to apply for graduate school. And uh, when um, uh, I had a choice... Between, this, between SUNY Buffalo, where I was going for my master's, or the University of Rochester. Well, the University of Rochester offered me a complete tuition ride. I'd pay nothing. Plus, they paid me, and these days, it may not sound like a lot today, this is 1985. They were paying me $5,000 a year to be a teaching assistant. I just had to teach one lab a week. I was like sold. And I was an introverted kid. I mean, putting me in front of a classroom, but I very quickly realized I like this, you know. Mm. Uh, so uh, even though I, uh, you know, people who, like my wife will tell you, I won't pick up the phone to call for a pizza. I just can't do that. I, I'm terrified. Uh, I, I'm, I'm more terrified of what's on the other end, interrupting someone's life, someone that that's the part I can't deal with. I'll never pick up the phone if I can do it by email. Uh, and that's actually why the pet business was so ideal because there's no there was no right. human interaction. It was all done electronically. So, but anyway, uh, I got this tuition scholarship. I realized I liked it. Uh, I liked teaching, but I never thought of being a teacher. And I, I got out of school in 1987. I had my master's degree. Uh, graduated. I don't know if I graduated top of my class, but I was chosen as chief student marshal. I was actually just telling my former student this yesterday. I had a stand up, and they told me this. I don't think it's really true. At the University of Rochester, it was a big arena, you know, big football field, and I had a stand up. I somehow was chosen as not just marsh, not just like top of the geology of the whole College of Arts and Sciences. I was the top person. I was the chief student marshal. I had to stand in front of a. They told me it was ten thousand people. I was probably more like two or three thousand, and I had to tell my class to rise. I was terrified. <laughs> I'm a you know, shy kid, you yeah. know. And um, but then, so then I got out of, I got out of college, and for two years I got a job selling industrial controls. It was a nice job, didn't pay very well, Um, very little vacation. I got a week in the summer and a week between Christmas and New Year's. And uh, what I could see was that the uh, owner of the business, as his kids were graduating college, he was bringing his kids into the business, which told me there's no future here. At some point, one of them was going to take my job. And my brother was already a teacher. He's actually a year younger than me, but he went He knew he wanted to be a teacher right out of high school, so he got his bachelor's and went right to work. What's he teach? He teaches science also.
2: Was
3: Chatham your first teaching job? Yeah. Only interview I ever went No way.
2: Well, I mean, we have a teacher in here who never thought he was going to be a teacher and then became a teacher in upstate New York, and he retired last year, I believe, and he, same thing, though, like, he was like, I never thought I was going to be a teacher, and then I got into it, I needed a job and got a teaching job, and then everything happened from there
1: yeah um i uh my bro- so i worked in that job for about a year and a half and my brother was working on his masters at night at suny new paltz so he he was meeting with his advisor. my brother never enrolled for the masters he just took all the classes and then at the end he had to go meet with an advisor to make sure he had checked off all the boxes, oddly they wouldn't let him graduate unless he took the GRE, which was the graduate I think uh, the entrance exam graduate entrance yeah. exam. Like he needs to take an exam to prove that he's gonna pass all these classes after he's passed. That's
3: them when on. I <laughs> knew I wasn't. That's when I knew I wasn't going back to school. I took the GRE my senior year of college, and I was just like, dude, <laughs> this is brutal. Like not not for me. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, I think I'm. Uh, yeah. Gonna wrap up my education career. After, yeah, I, I'm not. After this. I'm not. Uh, I
1: don't read the right things. Yeah. So uh, anyone who knows me, I read whenever I'm awake. My it drives my wife nuts. Sometimes I just want to read, read, read. Um, and uh, but I don't read what they test on. I don't read literature. What they consider literature. Uh, I don't read poetry. You know, I, I don't read fiction. I only read nonfiction. I like how to manuals, and mm-hmm. I read you know computer books i i you, you can give me a 300 page computer manual you know book on how to use a program and i'll read the whole thing in one night is
3: that how you enjoy how do you find your stories on your podcast is, <laughs> yeah
1: i've never had a good answer for that uh, i i i jokingly say i just like to read and um you know you got to remember when i first started this um I was using other people's work. I was just reading other, you know, there, there are people who created books just like I did. And I, mm-hmm. I would buy every one of them, read through them. I go, oh, that's cool. And I would sum- rewrite it and put it on my website. And if you look at my first two, my first book in particular, that's what it is. It's just it's just other people's work. Um, I would, you know, if I found a good story, I would go, this is before you could do research online. Mm-hmm. I would go to SUNY Albany, sit down with a microfilm and go through and find the old wow. newspaper articles. Um. You know, so uh, that's how I got them originally. But when I started the podcast, if you listen to the first 12 podcasts, those just came out of my books. I was just retelling stories from my books. But then I realized, I'm gonna run out of stories and who's gonna buy the books? I mean, if I keep telling stories in the books. So uh, I think it was episode 13 where I finally said, I'm doing my own research, I'm gonna find new stories. And what's happened over the years is they get more and more obscure. Uh, I, I my preference is to do a story nobody's ever done. If you go on the internet, maybe you'll find a mention of it, but you'll never find someone who's actually researched it and found the original articles and things like that. Uh, and, and, and I'd say one of the greatest satisfactions I get is when I find a story that hasn't been reported on. You can't even, you know, ha- since it happened in 1932, whatever, nobody's told it. But basically, I just read. So um, I'll give you an example. Yeah, please. Um, uh, and I've never written this story. Um, someone gave me a book on Hudson, and you guys know Hudson because it's mm-hmm. it's the next mm-hmm. district over from where we were, mm-hmm. uh, Hudson, New York. And I never knew this, but uh, it was a whaling town. Uh, uh, they used that to bring the whales sense. up there, and and the you Hudson know, Hudson Whalers was a football team, right? It makes sense. They bring the whale. They bring the whales up the Hudson River uh, in the ships. You know, what is this? Seventeen, eighteen hundreds, and uh, you know they, you know back then they sell the oil in every part, every all the fat, all the skin, you know, everything was used for something. And but of course you got all these men and they need to, you know, let's just say entertain themselves. And I forgot, I don't know if it was Warren Street or one of them. I could have the wrong street, but one of them was basically the red light district. And and men would take the trains up or the boats up out of New York City and come to Hudson. For, to 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 take advantage of all those services, <laughs> and I'm just reading this book. It um it wasn't very well written. In fact, I uh, I I don't think I'm a really great writer. But when after I read this book, like, I'm not that bad, you know. <laughs> uh, it really needed a proofreader. I I'd say that it was the, needed a proofreader. But I read this whole book and nothing got nothing out of it other than the entertainment of it. Except there was one sentence in there about a woman. I want to say I I, I'm, I haven't read this in 12 years. Whatever I'm just approximating there, but. I want to say the woman's name was, say, Mary Hoteling. I, I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. I think the last name was Hoteling. She was the last woman hanged in New York State. And I could be wrong on that also because it's been so long. But I just read that one sentence and I'm like, oh, there's a story. you know. And, and So now, now you I, want to learn more about I, it. And then I went and learned more about it. In the end, uh, I, I think I decide – I mean, it's hard to say. I, I
3: find all these stories and I just kind of leave it at that. And
1: then right. I'll someday look back and say, maybe I'll do that.
3: And then sometimes you hit a dead end and you're like, well, this can't be Oh, it happens all the
1: time. Um, uh, They just ran a survey, uh, the network I'm on, Airwave Media. uh, I just switched to them in January. They wanted me to do a survey of my listeners. And, um, you know, people could add a comment at the end. And someone wrote in there, maybe it was two people said, you know, you should say at the end of each podcast what the next one's going to be like, you know, kind of coming up next. but." whatever i'm thinking isn't it, it rarely ever is what happens is cuz you got to remember well you wouldn't remember cuz you've never seen me do this but when i'm working on a when i choose a story i just have a little bit of knowledge of it i have in my head a you know a little bit of the idea of how the story went and um as i start to collect the articles sometimes what happens is i never find the ending or you know or it's just a dud a mm-hmm. real when i say a dud i mean i've done I mean, even my most recent podcast—I'd say a, it isn't the most interesting podcast. It's not the most the craziest podcast I've ever done, but it's not a dud. It's a, it's a more of a human interest story. But every once in a while, there's one like I can't do this one, <laughs> right. um, you know, or there's just, there's not enough information there. The story just ends, and it's not. I, I just don't have enough to go with, so I, I abandon a lot of them. But what I do is, <clears throat> um, I'm losing my voice here. Um, this is this, uh, you know. I mentioned before we went on that I've had to now start recording my podcast over two days because mm-hmm. uh, as now that I don't speak, do public speaking every day in a classroom, I'm losing the strength yeah. of my voice. But anyway, uh, I'm, I am still holding on here. <laughs> <laughs>
3: we'll keep holding you, on. You maybe. just yeah. let us know. This episode of Off Exit 10 is brought to you by Ancor and the all-new Ancor Pro, crafted to endure the most high-performance workouts without the high cost and space requirements of a standard cable machine. Named the best portable cable machine by Men's Health Home Gym Awards, Ancor provides the full functionality of a cable machine in one small space-saving unit. Designed with user-friendliness in mind, Ancor can simply be attached to any squat rack or placed on any wall in your home gym using its intuitive sliding track mount. With up to 65 pounds of resistance, Ancor is built for high speed and controlled exercises alike, from cable presses and rows to chops and lifts. The Ancor has been a game changer for us here at CDSF and now you can enjoy the same professional quality cable machine in your own home gym by heading over to AncorTraining.com and using code CDSF10 for 10% off your order today. Get all the benefits of a cable machine without the high cost installation fees. Enjoy the portable luxury and space-saving performance of Ancor today by going to AncorTraining.com and using code CDSF10 at checkout. That's anchortraining.com promo code CDSF10 for 10% off your order today. Okay, round 2. Name something that's not boring.
0: A laundry? Oh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh?
2: Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No by over 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Yeah, my, my wife and I were actually in March talking about when am I going to wind this thing down.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, how I, how much time hours wise goes into research for an episode on well, average? I'm sure they're that, different. That,
1: that's a funny thing about the uh About the survey, is that several people said I should do them more often. And uh, someone said, you know, other people do two a week. And I'm thinking I'd be dead because (laughs) 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 Um, I'll just give you an idea what goes into it. Uh, You know, here we are just yakking away. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's more of a casual. And and plus, it's just me. A lot of podcasts, you listen to uh, some of the other podcasts out there, the big names of history podcasts like I do. And there's at least one other person working on it. Sometimes they have a whole team working behind the scenes. And it's just me. And I have to live a life, you know. Right. Um, so, it, A, you have to find the story. Um, I can go weeks without finding something. And then boom, 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 I'll find six in, in a day. Um, and uh, and what I do is I just kind of make a note. I, I have papers all over my office. of pop, it, I just pr- I'll print out the story on one sheet of paper and just write possible story on the top and just set it aside. Um, And then the next step is if I decide to go with that story, is I'm obviously researching Mm -hmm. it. And as I said, a lot of them go nowhere. Then, um, So then as I start to gather up the information, I have to print it all out. You can't really, on these PDFs, I'm printing out newspaper articles in the 1920s and 30s. They're hard to read. Reading them on the the screen, you can't really, they're images, they're not... um, they they're not you gotta you know, like zoom in on documents. Yeah, simplify. they're not word. You can't do any editing to them. Yeah. So I print them out, and I, and uh, what I do is uh, as I print them out, I save each as a PDF, and I I actually have a system where they're in date order. So after I print them out, I just put you know put all the dates in order. So as I read down the stack of papers, I'm reading it in basically real time as it happened from the first mention in the press all the way through the last mention. But as I'm going through, I'm making notes like, uh, you know, check into this, check into that. What happened with this? What happened with that? Um, so it takes. So I find the story. It takes me about a day or two to research it, depending on the, you know, the depth, you know, how how involved the story is. Usually, I'd say two days to research. Then once I've researched, I have to sit down and read it, um, which you know, when you're taking notes and highlighting everything, that can take anywhere from a day to two. Then after I've gone through and what I do is I just use a highlighter and pull out all the So what happens is on the first page, it's like all yellow right. because everything is new fact. By the time I get to the 20th page, it may be one line highlighted because everything else has been told before as I'm going through it. Um, and then I just put numbers on every sheet. So starting with one, two, three, four, five, and I sit down for one day, for one morning, and I just read. I'll go like one and I read off that highlighted portion. and I. Then print all that out, and I go upstairs and I cut it all into strips. And I just sit there on the floor of my bedroom. I have a pretty big bedroom, and I just sit there and I put the strips in order of how I think the story should go. So I'm like, this goes in the first part because as you're doing it, you have a gen- as you're doing this, you have a general sense in your head how you want the story to go. So I'm sitting there. This has to go in the first section. This goes in the ser- second section, and then once I have all those, then I go back to I take those little slips of paper, put them in order, wow. staple them. Uh, and then begins the writing process, and I'll, I'll sit there with you know stack number one. This is the first first you know portion of it, and I have to put that into some cohesive, you know, narrative, and uh, that's quite difficult. Sometimes yeah, uh, getting
2: started is the worst. It's a time-consuming. Two. How, yeah,
1: how, two about, days to write a story is generally. How do you use AI now to help so, speed um, things up? So I'm not really sure it's speeding things up. Okay, uh, it's hel- <laughs> It is helping though.
2: Is it helping with like? No your, research. your thoughts and like getting like that out so or... uh
1: what i've been using it for mainly um I, I i've been using it for two things so the first one is uh, i can't ask the ai anything about these stories because they don't exist
3: on the internet right because um, ai is just scouring the internet i yeah. could add I, I
1: could add i just did what i told you before we went live about bertha Baronda, who you know severed her husband's let's say private parts yeah. and um there are pictures of her online um But And people, you know, in Reddit will make a little mention of something, but nobody's ever researched the story. And I went back and found all the articles and wrote it, and I purposely tried to write it without ever mentioning what was chopped off. Um, But, you know, so if I asked, you know, chat GPT, you know, tell me what you know about Bertha Baranda, it will give me, I think I did, that's actually when I first started using it, it came up with nothing. You know, maybe it had a sentence or two. So, um, and I should mention that it won't deal with anything of that nature, anything that's sexual in right. nature, yeah, yeah. It, it says, nope, we don't deal with that. So it came back with nothing. And But what I've learned to use it for is that sometimes I would spend 20, 30 minutes trying to get a paragraph to read-write. Now I just write it, and I go into ChatGPT, and I say, rewrite this for me. And in two seconds, I have a better written paragraph. It's not always in my voice, so then I take it, paste it in, and I tweak it.
3: Yeah, it's the same. Like I said, we use it for social media copy, so it's yeah. it Usually takes two or three tweaks, and then me copying, pasting it into a word mm-hmm, doc, yeah. and just yeah, making it sound more, more how we like, would write it. Yeah. But it gets pretty spot on. But I, I don't want to say that uh, the whole thing is that way. Yeah. It, it's maybe
1: it's just a, it's just a paragraph I'm stumbling with. It's still yeah, just, easy. It, yeah. It's still less time for me to write most of the paragraphs. Right. Um. But um. But every once in a while, like, like my latest podcast. I was, uh, before I actually put the podcast live, I make my wife listen to them. She's, she's the test subject, you know, and she's find some errors. There was one so bad. She's baggy. so kind.
3: Sometimes I'd be like, Sam, I thought this one was good. You want to listen? She's just like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So my, my wife is a really, really, she's a really, really generous person.
1: Uh, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be married to her if she wasn't, you know, uh, you know, I, I got really lucky. Um, so, uh, but anyway, um, we were listening to the latest podcast, and, I, and we got to a certain paragraph. I said, I did that one in ChatGPT. You know, so, uh, but, but most of the podcast was my own words. It's, mm-hmm. just, just, it's just saving me the time of spending 20 minutes trying to fix that one paragraph. Right, right. Yeah, the right. other thing I'm using it for, um, and I, do, I alternate the podcast where there's a serious story, and then there's what, uh, there are shorts, and I call that a retrocast. And, and uh, I used to do it all as one podcast once a month. But uh, I basically was told by the, the previous network I was on that you're losing market share because you publish so infrequently. So I just took the podcast and split it into mm. two. There's now the main story in one podcast, and two weeks later is the retrocast. The problem with the uh, the problem is I've expanded the retrocast, so now I'm doing more work than I was before. I've, I've thrown in additional stuff. It's um, uh, become much much more involved than it was before. Um, so you know, so someday when it's time to bring this to a halt, I don't, I don't think I'll stop. I'll start. I may go back to the original format of just once a month, mm-hmm. right? Uh, or I may just put out less frequently. Um, my wife and I have been talking about that. When are we bring? When am I bringing this thing to a close? And she's still working, um, so we'll see. I, you know, as long as she's working, I think I'll keep doing it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and as long as I'm not losing money, I mean, I'm not making a lot of money, but uh, you know, I'm making a few bucks off of
3: yeah, it. Yeah, and you and
1: you enjoy it. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's a love hate relationship. Yeah, that's, that's fair. what
3: this, I do not want this to ever feel like work for me, right. which is why we only do in person. Like, we could have so many more guests if we did remote Zoom interviews. Mm-hmm. Then I feel like the pool of people to talk to is so much bigger. I would want to do it so much more frequently. And then and it would start to feel like uh, work for me rather yeah. than we're just hanging out and talking. It's, it's, and talking. it's, um,
1: I, I think I, uh, before I was approached by the first network that I was on, um, I was really thinking of walking away. I was at 11 years. Um, I was really tired. It, it, it is to keep doing it. Um, you know, th- I mean, just think what it was like in high school to do uh, a research paper. I'm doing that You're every right. month. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm doing it on really stuff. It's not like, he, not like you can go to the library and, uh, and find these stories. So it, it really can wear you down. And, um, there the, 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 I mean, I can look back through them, and you know, some of the stories I spent a lot of time on. There are others that I know were just filler. Right. I'm like, I need give, a break.
3: Give us a, give us a story that you think people, everybody should know, but nobody knows about it. I actually don't. Ha- one n- that's it's like called your, useless
1: information. Isn't <laughs> or it? one, or <laughs> it, it is called point. useless information. <laughs> or one
3: that's like your one of your favorites. Well,
1: um, people ask me what's my favorite, and I don't, you know. I have to say it's usually whatever I'm working on. And right. I, ask, uh, I don't even know what I'm working on right now yeah. um, because I have several in the works. Uh, oddly, this next episode is going to be my 200th episode. Oh, wow. Nice. That's awesome. And I have two different people who have agreed to be interviewed. It's rare. I mean, I basically only do stories before I was born, which is 1963, because I figure if I don't know them – you know, I'm am going to be 60 this summer. So if I don't know them, there's probably very few people out there listening. You know, before that, who? Mm-hmm. N- so, um, I have two people lined up. Uh, who one? I did a story on a while back, a couple years ago. Probably one of the most popular stories I've done in a while. I don't want to say what it is because I may have that person, and I want to surprise mm-hmm. people. Um, but he he was the, he was the brother of this woman. Um, So he he has researched everything, and I want to hear his version of the story.
3: Who have you interviewed in the past when you've done the rare interview episode? Well,
1: uh, recently, and anyone who listens to my podcast is probably tired of hearing me (laughs) say this, uh, but I had a guy on. This is the longest thing I've ever done. I did a three-part interview with a guy named Marvin Lautzenheiser. He sadly just died uh, June 6th. He was 94 years old. And uh, it is the most, one of the most memorable things, most satisfying things I've ever done in my life, talking to him. Um, So I wrote, uh, my wife and I were going to the Grand Canyon, not this March, the previous March. Uh, We were gonna, uh, we are both teachers, but oddly we never had the same vacation. Chatham gave off a week in February and a a week in April. Her school gives off two two weeks in March. So we never had the same spring break. So my wife said, when you retire, we're going to the Grand Canyon. She always wanted to. And then we had a lockdown. So, (laughs) So we didn't get there. So then we said, okay, when things started to open up, we're going to the Grand Canyon. So that wasn't this March. It was the previous one. I needed a story to do very quickly. And I'm looking through my pile. I'm like, what do I have researched? And I had a story that I had researched, and I really liked it. But it was related to um, uh, the movie Bridge of Spies. Have you seen that with Tom Hanks?
3: Jordan, have you seen Bridge of Spies? It's a very, very oh, good movie.
1: Okay. Uh, it's a Steven Spielberg movie, and I do recommend it. Uh, I don't watch My wife and I are not big media people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't watch a lot of TV, watch a lot of movies. Um, but I, I will recommend that movie. Basically, um, it's about a Soviet spy and uh, the exchange that took place with a guy named Gary Powers who had his, uh, I, I'm talking off the cuff here, but his U-2 plane was shot down over Russia. So over the bridge of spies, they made mm. the exchange. And that's what the movie's about. It's about this guy, uh, James Donovan, who's the lawyer who handled this. He He's played by Tom Hanks. So anyway, I do this story, but it actually wasn't that story. It's what happened before that I did the story. And I had this, I had the story, but I didn't want to do it because I figured... Uh, Tom Hanks did this movie. Okay, everybody's everybody got to know this story, mm-hmm. even though it only shows up for a fraction of a second in the movie. This kid, he's delivering in the 1950s, he's delivering the Brooklyn Daily Eagle, which is long defunct. You know, in those days, you had a newsboy or news, mm-hmm. you know, it was pretty much boys, but they would, you know, carry the newspaper and deliver it to everybody's apartment. He goes up to this apartment of these two women. Uh, they lived like maybe on the fifth or sixth floor, and he, uh, you know, goes to collect his money for the week of papers that he had delivered. And he's going down the stairs and he's counting his change and he drops the coins. And he's searching, in the, and this is before the days where they probably had good lighting, he's searching in the dim light or darkness trying to find the money. And he finds one of the nickels and it's split in half. He had half the nickel. Now, have you ever heard that happening? No, no. definitely not. So um, he's searching, searching, and he finds the other half. And he sees something in there. So he goes running home to his dad and he goes... Look what I found. The dad realizes it's a piece of microfilm. He had he basically had stumbled across uh, a, a message message exchange from a Soviet spy to another Soviet spy. So, he they give it to uh, I guess one of the girls that this boy went to school with. Dad was a police officer, so they went to find the police officer and gave him the nickel. And that's the last they ever saw of it. The kid goes off. He go, he graduates high school. He actually. Is going to college at RPI, and he gets contacted by the FBI. You got to come in and testify about uh, this guy uh, Rudolph Abel, this head of the master spy ring in the United States. Your nickel was part of it. Wow! So um, you know, and he it was only a minor part of it. They had all this. Uh, once they brought down the, they went to his apartment down in New York City, and, and they found all this, you know, all this stuff. So I did that story just as really because it didn't take me that long. I probably spent three days putting that one together instead of my normal week, week and a half. So, uh, you know, maybe a month or two goes by and I get an email from this guy, Marvin Lautenheiser. And he goes, I, uh, it was very short. And I'm just going to paraphrase here. He goes, I worked on that nickel case. I was, I headed the team that deciphered it. And he goes, yes, I'm old enough to have done it. And he says, I'm 93 years old. And I said, can I talk to you? And, he, and I spent, uh, I recorded it over several months because he, he wasn't in great health at that point. Um, and I spent somewhere between eight and 10 hours talking to this guy, wow. the most fascinating man. He, he was using computers in the early 1950s where it couldn't decipher the code because they, the memory on these computers was so little that they had to break the program into three parts. And in fact, they concluded that the computer wasn't powerful enough to do this. And they couldn't decipher it. So, uh, but then when the spy ring was brought down, so uh, what happened was another spy had basically defected. And he kind of gave a hint on how to defect this, how, how to uh, you know, uh, decrypt it. And um, it still didn't help, but it gave him a clue. He said he didn't know, but uh, Marvin told me. He's, they're quite certain he knew. He just wasn't revealing everything. And uh, they were able to to decrypt this message. And it said nothing. It's like, welcome to the U.S. It was a welcome <laughs> thing. You know, You're we'll be in touch soon. Um, and, they, they, uh, and he went on from there. He left the FBI. This is a guy who he went from working in a factory, uh, a machine shop in Ohio in a small town, grew up in poverty, born during the Depression, grew up in poverty, and uh, he was in college. He's standing at graduation, about to get his diploma in mathematics. And a woman in his class says, did the FBI contact you? He goes, what? They're looking for people to decrypt. They're looking for mathematicians who can who can decrypt messages. And uh, I didn't realize this until I spoke to him. Because so when he first contacted me, I'm like, why didn't they offer her the job? But uh, it turns out they wouldn't hire women women back then. So she couldn't do it. She said, why don't you do it? And within a year, he was standing in J. Edgar Hoover's office. You know, Hoover was. He was, mm-hmm. the, he was the head of the FBI yep. back then. So, the whole uh, movie on him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, lots told of him, both good and bad. Yes. So anyway, uh, but he stayed with them for about five years, did amazing stuff. He then went on to develop uh, hard drive technology, Uh, you know, just amazing, amazing man. So anyway, that's one of the most memorable things I've ever done. But that's a rarity for me to have a live person interview i mean i i'm choosing stuff from the 1920s and 30s there's nobody alive who yeah. right who knows everything yeah i mean knows anything about these things so
2: or that experience them that closely yeah you know that that's pretty cool to, to be able to get that yeah, person I, experience the, yeah. the nickel was what part of them
1: uh
3: it was a message was exchange a, yeah it was a right. message
2: exchange for like the russian spies or yeah um uh, but he
1: uh what marvin was to te- was able to tell me was that uh you know, first of all, uh, the, the lawyer that Tom Hanks played—he wasn't a nice man. He, w- he he really didn't enjoy dealing with the guy, and uh, he was able to tell me that um, the guy that the F- that the FBI sent in to testify how they decrypted this nickel didn't know how to do it. He was a police officer that who who they they brought in and they taught him just how that nickel was decrypted. Why? Because. They didn't Marvin would have had have gone in to testify and then when the lawyers start going after you the Soviet lawyers and stuff they would have found out they you, you can't lie they didn't want any secret information revealed so they got they got a guy a police officer who knew nothing about it and if you check all the documents it say he headed the team but he had nothing to do with it wow. so but but sadly I got an email uh, um, just a few weeks ago from his family saying he had passed on um so so I, I interviewed him i put those up in october november and he died in june you know so i was, wow. was kind of glad he uh, i got that done yeah so,
3: yeah i guess you never know where a story's gonna bring you yeah. or, or connect or, you with or yeah where it's gonna go um yeah man it's wild where uh i guess just let the people know where can they find your podcast and your everywhere. books and yeah so uh just just type in useless. you can go to uselessinformation.org.
1: Right, we discussed um uh clearly just type in useless information podcast and it's it's gonna pop up. There are other people who have uh, tried to take that name in some variation or whatever. I don't have a trademark on it, so I guess if they wanted to steal it, they could <laughs> but uh there's there's not gonna be anybody who has the same you know you know fifteen years of content right
2: or the stories yeah you know,
1: like uh, I, I should mention that uh you know it is just me um uh, I get a lot of criticism on my voice. I am losing my voice as I get older. Uh, I don't have the power behind it. But also, we live, my, my wife and I didn't know this when we bought the house. As so you look at it on the weekend, we live on a very heavily traveled road, and there's a hill in front of our house, and there's a gravel yard, and the trucks, mm-hmm. you know, they're going up and down. So it takes me an entire day to even record a short little episode because the trucks and stuff are interfering with everything. So, what I ended up doing was buying a system. Uh, instead of having uh, condenser microphones like you have, mm-hmm. I had to buy Dynamics. But you have to have the microphone one inch from your mouth. If you move it even a fraction of an inch, you go off mic. So it, it is it is a very annoying uh, thing to record. And I am reading a script, which is a little bit uh, a little bit mechanical, I think, mm-hmm. in terms of yeah, people I'm- people tell me when I – do live presentations, or even like you had me as a teacher, mm-hmm. that I'm much more dynamic.
3: Yeah, it's just going to be more natural. When you're not going right from a script. But I listened to uh, uh, the uh, what was the lion's name? I listened to the episode. Oh, Fraser. I listened. To, I listened. That's to a crazy Fra- story. Fraser, which is a wild story. Fraser with this was this old lion that they thought was on his way out. So it pretty much was. Was on his way out, and uh, where was the zoo? Who took him in? Uh, it was in California. Took him in. And this dude, Frazier, ended up impregnating a lot of the pride that was there, the female Well, You're you're skipping uh, what happened was it was one of these drive-through safaris.
1: Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, when I was a kid, there was one in New Jersey, uh, right over the New York border, called Jungle Habitat. It was the same kind of thing. You drive your car through, and they'd have all the lions and everything else around. Um, And this one was called Lion Country. And uh, they had a whole bunch of females, but every male they put in there, they would tear apart every young male they put in there. They just rip them to shreds. You know, and I don't know how many times five, six males they put in there, and finally they're out of males. And someone's you like, know, let's try Frazier. And this is this is an old decrepit circus lion. He could barely stand up. He couldn't walk in a straight line. Um, his tongue actually ha- hung out of his mouth. He couldn't. He, he his, his tongue muscles had basically failed. Mm-hmm. And uh, someone said, "Well, we got nothing to lose. The thi- this this lion's going to die anyway." they come back the next morning and there they're all laying there with him he had impregnated them all and <laughs> he, should, Shout out Frazier.
3: Shout he out fraser Shout fraser
1: he he would he could hardly walk and they would as he'd try and walk they would two females would walk alongside him and hold him up when uh, they'd bring him food to feed him and he lived about maybe 18 months after that but there was a fraser uh, the the lion fan club there was a movie made of him um, really bad movie um, <laughs> but uh, it was just a crazy story oddly i was i was work i was working on a different story in the same exact park at the time and i did not find the story Researching that one, I was just reading something else. I'm like, this is a, another story at the same exact park. <laughs> uh, I just stumbled on them totally separately. Um, so I just put the other one on hold because so I thought this was a better one. Yeah, Frazier was
3: good. But yeah, it doesn't come off as like rigid or, or... no.
1: Uh, but what people don't realize, it takes me a whole day to record that. I yeah. I record a paragraph or two, and I'm like ah, the inflections wrong on that. Yeah, and I just keep going back. I get a lot of uh, not a lot, but a few messages here and there lately that. I'm not enunciating properly. And I think that's really the microphone.
3: Yeah. Jordy's gotten, Do you talk to Jordy off air? after. Jordy's gotten editing software and things like that. He's, uh, we've learned. We've learned. We, we've had to epi-
1: make some adjustments. So, I, I'm, I'm not editing after. I do uh, no editing. It's all done on the fly. I see. So uh, basically, I'll, I will have a script in front of me. So uh, what I do is I'll go X number of paragraphs and then I'll mess that up. I just go back, right. reread that. Ah, I I I'll, sometimes I'll reread it uh, 16 times until I get it right. Yeah. Um, but you know, uh, I've occasionally I'm asked. In fact, I'm doing a talk uh, the last Thursday in October at Hudson Valley. Uh, it's just you know during the day. Uh, that's a more natural there. A right. uh, more comfortable having an audience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not me and a microphone, as I like to say. Yeah. And it's funny considering
2: at, that you're so introverted that you're more comfortable. Doing that, then it, almost it, like it's doing online. you,
1: you know? know. Yeah, it's just it's just you know you, you get better and better as you teach. Mm. Plus, uh, I know you want to bring this to so a close, yeah. but uh, the uh, the thing about teaching is what people don't realize it's not an it's not a level situation. In other words, I'm the teacher and you guys are the students. I have complete. control. It, it may seem like I have no control or whatever, but the reality is I control your grades. I control what's taught. Right. it's 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 not on the same level. Right. and And that takes a lot of the fear away. i mm-hmm. I hated talking in front of the faculty. I, I would mm-hmm. go to faculty meetings and never say a word. It was rare. I, even when I had something to say, mm-hmm. I would never open my mouth because I'm not comfortable in that
3: kind of situation. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I'm blabbing on here. No, Listen, you're that's, good. That's what we do. I appreciate you coming Absolutely. on. Absolutely, sure. It's uh, been fun. It's nice to get up. Yeah, Jordy told me he's like, hey, you know, Mr. Silverman has a podcast. He's been doing it since 2008, and mm-hmm. that just blew. I, that blew my. That mind. blew my mind because I mean, that's right now. There's I don't know how many podcasts exist. A tremendous amount. Uh, last I heard, about three million. Right, and I mean, yeah, you're in just the first batch in 08, which. uh
2: and you thought you were behind; you were, had missed the bus. Essentially, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, 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 it wasn't really till the pandemic that things really exploded. You know, yeah, yeah. Well, nobody had anything else to do, so everybody's like, "Oh, let me get a get a microphone, get on a podcast, and go yeah, yeah Steve, I appreciate you coming for in, sure. and catching can up, do up and do doing it again this sometime. Just yeah, like, yeah, you know? yeah I'm sure there's for more, sure. More thing, more things and stories that we can definitely come up with and talk about and whatnot. Yeah, but. this is great. So yeah, uselessinformation dot org, org. Uh,
1: and, and of course you can search it out very yeah, easily. This is
2: Information Podcast.
1: What are the names of your books too? So uh, the first one was Einstein's refrigerator, and the, the title is much longer than that. That was just one of the stories in it. Second one's Lindbergh's artificial heart, and the third one, which came, just came out uh, right as the pandemic hit, uh, so therefore they didn't stop pushing it, uh, um, but uh, they didn't know, they just stopped marketing books right then. It's called the flip side history, and uh, that one's actually got some really good content in it. So.
2: And these are all similar to, like, the stories that you're giving on your podcast and things like that? Yeah.
1: um, Yeah. The the first two, as I said, were the best of my website. Mm -hmm. This one, the third book, uh, they wouldn't let me really take anything from from the podcast or website. They felt that was out there. So I had to uh, be like original. It had to be original. So you know, I, there were some stories I would have loved to include it in the book because they were really just you know, when you do it for fifteen years, you have a really good assortment to choose from. So I had to really search things out, and uh, I, I wrote it in one summer. It was eight weeks of work. Um, I, you know, if I had more time, I probably would have. You know, looking back at it, there are things I wish a, a little bit of the tone, you know, mm-hmm. maybe taking one story out, put something else. But it is what it is. And, uh, and it's out there. Yeah, and it's We're out there. Out there. <laughs> All your
3: stories are out there. More to come. So, see. Thanks for coming sure, on. Sure, appreciate for you. Me. And we'll uh, we'll see everybody next time. Thank you.